Welcome to Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave. We're always broadcasting first on WPVM LP, Asheville 103.7, streaming online, WPVMFM.org. The voice of Asheville heard all over the world and on other community radio stations like KCEI FM, Cultural Energy Radio out of Taos, New Mexico. I'd like to thank Walter Parks for our theme song. If you're interested in more of Walter's music, walterparks.com is a great place to look. If you would like to reach out to me and send me one of your stories or some thoughts on this show, you can always check out my website, jamesnave.com and send me an email through that website. I always appreciate hearing from you. And today, you may have already noticed a bit of ambient noise. Most especially my feet walking down a dirt road. Occasionally, not that often, but on occasion, I do a radio broadcast walking on the rim road. I call it Nave Walking on the Rim Road. And you will hear the wind, you'll hear my voice, you'll hear the, the road crunching under my, my shoes. I have a pair of old walking shoes. Ah, oh, it's time to, time to buy a new pair of shoes. Right now it's springtime, May actually, here in Taos, New Mexico. And that's where I walk the rim road, where I live at the end of a dirt road called La Canada. And actually, the drive is called Calais La Paz, and the road that I'm headed for is La Canada. And then it goes a little bit west and hits the Rim Road, which is where we will go today. Now, why would I have any interest in talking and walking on what amounts to perhaps even the roof of the world? I always like that idea, walking and talking on the roof of the world. Of course, no matter where you stand, you're standing on the roof of the world, how could you not be standing on the roof of the world? As you have probably already figured out, this is an improvisational talk. I have no idea what will come next. When you pause for a moment and think about your own life, you may think, well, how in the world could Nave walk down the dirt road and have no idea what's coming next? Well, I submit that's the same situation in every person's life. You actually have no idea what you're going to say next. You may say hello with all the intention of, of, of spreading great joy and suddenly something fumbles out that you didn't mean to say. Or you might do the opposite and say hello and something just joyously comes out and you think, I'll never be able to repeat that again. So that's one of the things I like to think about in my life and think about in all of our lives, the things we say, the things that come out within our voices. It's all improvisational. We are making it up as we go along. So why is the spoken word so important? Why, why tell stories? Why talk? Why, why explore? Why think about things, muse over 
what's coming next or how you might participate in what, what's coming next. Right now, we're coming to the end of a large chunk of time filled with a pandemic, COVID-19. I like to refer to it as COVID-19, mostly because that's, that's how it started. 19 being the, the year it started. I first heard about the, the pandemic. I think it was actually in December and maybe mid-December in 19, night, 1919? No, 2019, actually. So I'm getting my, my dates mixed up. So how about that? This is what happens when you walk on a dirt road. One loses track of time. Now I submit perhaps we wouldn't, I wouldn't lose the entire century, but <laughs> 2019, COVID-19, that's, that's when this, this time started. So I became aware of it then and didn't have any more of an idea that it would affect me than I thought a volcano might explode next door. And yet, lo and behold, it has affected us all. So now we are coming out of the pandemic time. Why, why speak? Why tell stories? Why reflect? Well, perhaps during this time of, of, of isolation for many of us, and this time also of tragedy for some of us because many of you out there have experienced COVID-19 and some of you have lost people who who are close to you because of it. And, and many of you have known people who have been altered for forever because of, of COVID-19. Of course, time alters us forever, no matter what we do. And I suppose the pandemic carrying COVID-19 virus certainly has delivered a, a new kind of alteration, maybe an accelerated alteration. And I know that there are people out there listening who might say the virus doesn't exist. They might say, I think it's been underplayed or I think it's been politicized. Now, I actually am not in that camp. Somehow, I know. Now, how do I know the virus exists? Well, I don't know for sure because I've never had it, but I have talked to people. I have heard stories. I, I do know that it seems to me to be a very dangerous proposition. And it's a proposition that I would prefer to not participate in if I can avoid the virus. And so that's one of the reasons why, unlike a lot of people, I have gotten both of my vaccinations. Well, I'm saying this now on air because I am in that camp. Now I know some friends who are not in that camp. I know some friends who, who will tell me, oh wait, I have to pause for a moment. I'm passing a walker, somebody dressed in a white hat. How are you doing today? Good, good, we have our hats on. Time for, time for spring. A, a wonderful walker just passed by. She had her cane and she had a white hat on. I think it might've been a Tilly hat. I'm wearing a Tilly hat as well. Looks like I'm on a safari. And in a sense, I am on a safari. Tilly hat, I love my Tilly hat. It fits well and washes well and always conforms back to its shape no matter how many times I wash it. But let's come back to 
what I was talking about. I am in the camp of the vaccinations. I like the idea of getting my vaccinations. Now, as I said, I know people who resisted, and you may be one of those resisting it. Now, I'm not here to tell you what to do, how to govern your body, what to put in it, what to leave out of it, how to participate in the world as a human being walking along. But I am here to tell you that I trust science. And for some reason, call me a fool or call me a genius, I actually trust the vaccinations. Well, now here's why. When I was growing up in Western North Carolina, back in the 50s and the 60s, I was a boy back then, and as you might imagine, if you've ever lived in a rural area, you can maybe imagine how much fun a child can have just romping around in the fields, in the, in the garden behind the house, around the barn. Dylan Thomas wrote a wonderful poem called Fern Hill. Oh, when I was young and easy under the apple boughs about the lilting house and happy as the grass was green, the night above the dingle starry, time let me hail and climb, golden in the heydays of his eyes. And green and golden, I was prince of the apple towns, and once below a time, I lordly had the trees and the leaves trail with daisies and barley down the rivers of the windfall light. And in a sense, I was that child growing up in Western North Carolina, out on, as they say, Brevard Road, which is no longer country. It's actually a four-lane road now. Crosses over I-26 through much commercialization. But when I was a boy, there was no commercialization. All we had were trees and fields. And the trees trailing like daisies and barley down the rivers of the windfall light. Well, during that time, my mother, who was a nurse working in the hospitals around Asheville, would always say to me, we, we have to pay attention. We have to pay attention to our bodies. And she would harvest vegetables from the garden and make sure that my brother David, my brother Sam, my sister Nancy and I had, had vegetables on the table. Now she also served pork chops. We weren't necessarily vegetarians, but we were country. And in the country, you, you did eat from the garden. So the reason I bring the garden up and I'm tying the garden to vaccinations is because when I was playing in the fields with my brother, having a very happy time, the polio epidemic, I don't know if it was a pandemic or not, but it certainly was, was a pandemic in our imaginations. The polio epidemic disease was prevalent. And I remember as a boy thinking, I'm gonna get polio and I won't be able to ever walk again. And I'll never be able to play in the garden. I'll never be able to, to pick the corn or the, the tomatoes or run in the woods with my brother David down to the creek and catch lizards. I won't be able to do that. I'll get polio and, and that'll be that. I won't be able to ever walk again. And I had seen in the picture magazines, photo stories of, of children my age in iron lungs in the hospital. Their bodies wrapped in the iron lung, their faces not really smiling, I don't suppose, I don't remember. I doubt they were. Their faces blank, 
reflecting the loss of their future as they became more and more aware of their entrapment within the iron lung. And of course, for those of you who don't know what that might mean, you can think about it for a second and imagine that this iron cavity they were ensconced in, that's what allowed them to breathe. That's what helped them do what they needed to do in order to stay alive. And what a limited life it must have been. So when I was a boy looking at those pictures, I was terrified that I would end up in one of those iron lungs. I thought for sure I would. Maybe I was a fatalist kid, although I thought I was optimistic and I did enjoy running around in the countryside. So one day, in the midst of all of this doubt, my mother, or my father, I don't remember, at the supper table, likely, with the vegetables harvested from the garden, my mother or father announced they have a vaccine for polio. And I looked up and thought, oh my, really? Do they do? What does that mean? She said, well, all we have to do is go to the doctor or to the clinic and they will put a little drop of medicine on a sugar cube. All you have to do is eat the sugar cube and you won't get polio after that. Now, my friends, in my mind, the idea of a sugar cube relieving me of terror, which was what I felt as a boy, the terror of being trapped in an, in an iron lung or the terror of having my legs disoriented and withered up and unable to move, or maybe if I could walk, I would, would be really quite off balance. That terror could be gone with a, with a sugar cube. The idea that terror could be gone with a sugar cube was just absolutely a miraculous notion in my little, I guess, 10-year-old brain. I don't know how old I was at the time, not old. And, and so w I don't remember exactly when we went. I do believe we went to Dr. Hartman. How about that name for a doctor? Hartman, Dr. Hartman, heart, the heart medicine. So we went to Dr. Hartman, and Dr. Hartman served us these tiny little sugar cubes. Not a lot different than the wafers you get at communion in church. If you are religious and you've ever gone to communion, you know that you can get a communion wafer, and, and you, you have the body of Christ, they say. In my church, which was the Methodist church on Brevard Road, out there in the country where I was growing up, we had sunbeam bread cubes and of course it was white bread and we had grape juice for the blood of Jesus so I'm thinking I'll take the sugar cube and that will be my salvation I'm not sure I was thinking that then I'm thinking that now anyway I took the sugar cube and and everything was good again and we could run in the garden and think our legs would be with us for the rest of our lives. Turned out that was true. I'm walking down the rim road right now, listening to the spring birds sing their spring songs. I'm watching the arroyo, which is the irrigation ditch. Now it has water in it. In the winter when I walked in the cold times, there was no water. The water is diverted from the river uh, up, up a ways, and then it works its way back down through the farmland, and then what is left of the water that's not used for irrigation is returned back to the 
to what eventually becomes the Rio Grande on down across the borderlands in Texas to the, to the Gulf Coast, and I believe it deposits itself, what's left of it, in the, in the Gulf of Mexico. But meanwhile, I was astounded by the fact that I could run in the fields. And as I said, I'm still walking on those two legs that I am so grateful to have and will continue to be grateful to have until I don't have them anymore. So even so, here I was, very happy, and my mother, of course, was, was pleased, and my mother, everybody called her Bobby Sue, and people called my father J.C. I didn't call them by that name. I called my mother Mother, and my father, I guess, Daddy, now that I think about it, but Mother hated the idea of being called Mom. She said it's too short, and it's too abrupt, and Mom sounds like a a rubber ball bouncing off the floor. But mother is more of a full-bodied idea. Mother, may I have some more eggs? And she would bring the eggs. Or mother, may I have some more vegetables? And she would serve the vegetables. And she was smiling after we took those sugar cubes because she was hopeful that her children would live to a ripe old age. And lo and behold, all of her children did. I lived to be 71 right now. My brother is 70. My, my other brother, Sam, he's somewhere in his 60s, probably 64, and my, my sister Nancy is 60. So we all retained our legs and we all continue to live uh, a good and happy life. After that, my mother was always very, very happy to make sure that we had our proper vaccinations. And I'm gonna have to pause now because we're passing some more people, have a couple of dogs and they're out for an afternoon walk like, like we are. Afternoon. How are you all today? Good, thank you. Have your dogs out in tow, I see. Friendly neighbors on the, on, the, on the walk on the rim road. So my mother was always very, very happy to make sure that we went to the doctor, we went to the dentist, we had our cavities filled. I know there's mercury in some of that way back when Dr. Hoyle was the dentist name. He was above the uh, hardware store on Haywood Road, but Dr. Hoyle is long gone and so are his drills and his dental work. That's where I got my, my teeth fixed. We followed through and as a boy, I ended up getting other vaccines along the way. My mother made sure I had what I, I needed and she would always take me to the doctor when I needed it. One time I was in Mr. Stevens' pasture I was approaching a horse. I didn't grow up riding horses. I had no idea about a horse's nature, really. So I approached the horse, and I remember holding my fingers out and said, horsey, horsey, horsey. And I walked up to the horse in Mr. Stevens' pasture, and I was so happy to get close to the horse, and the horse kicked me in the head with its front leg. Kabam! And the next thing I remember, I'm in the clinic, stretched out on the table, coming to, after the horse kicked me in the head. So I said, horsey, horsey, horsey. And, and what I got as a reward was a trip to unconscious land. Now, I don't hold it against the horse. And I was, was young and I didn't know how to approach a horse. And I was glad the horse didn't do more damage. And I suppose my head recovered, although I do have friends now with brain injuries. And those friends with brain injuries 
tell me, and you may be somebody who has a brain injury or you may have experienced it. It's a difficult proposition to get over. So I have to assume that the horse didn't kick me all that hard, even though I thought at the time um, I would see stars forever. And of course, I'm making up the star seeing part of this. I have no idea if I saw stars, but I do know the horse kicked. And my mother took me to the emergency clinic and got me patched up. And if we ever stepped on a nail, which I maybe did two or three times, I would go get a tetanus shot. So as a boy, I ended up having a good relationship with vaccinations. I never ever recall having a, a side effect from it. I, I never felt like I was being encroached by the government. I never thought anybody was putting some kind of secret microorganism in my vaccination that would track me for the rest of my life. Uh, I don't know what they would have seen if they had tracked me. They would have seen me doing ordinary things like walking down the rim road with the Jeep passing by on its way to home, perhaps. And what's, what's extraordinary about that? A walk on a warm May afternoon? Not much extraordinary about that at all. And yet, being able to walk on my legs because I ate that sugar cube, that, that, that's a miracle. And, and I have to, have to recognize that. So as time has gone on, I've led a very active life. Many of you listening to this show know that I made an, a, an active job choice to stay freelance for most of my life. I did have a few jobs, but nothing that lasted very long and nothing that was all that institutional. Most of my work was done freelance, hiring on for, for different propositions, sometimes entrepreneurial things like pizza restaurants. Pizza Port, that's the name of the place I opened on Riceville Beach, North Carolina in 1976, threw pizzas in the air and, or didn't throw the pizza, I threw the dough in the air and handed the pizza fully cooked to the customers. You could get, a, get an all the way pizza at the Pizza Port for six bucks. And gosh, I sold so many of them, I don't even remember. But the place ended and I sold it and moved on my way and did not open a chain. If I had a chain of pizza ports, probably would have owned the Denver Broncos. But what I own instead are many, many stories, like the story I'm telling you now, a rambling improvisational story that we're moving through down the rim road on a warm day, watching the Jeeps, and then I just had a bicycle pass. Somebody very happy on their, their bicycle. So, coming back to the vaccinations, as I continued my life, I occasionally did bump into problems. Once I stepped on a nail in Taos, New Mexico in a barnyard and the nail went deep into my foot. Idiot I was walking through a cow pasture with flip-flops on. Don't recommend flip-flops and cow pastures. If you're gonna walk in a cow pasture, try a, a shoe that's a little more sturdy. Anyway, walking in the cow pasture, stepped on the nail and thought no big deal until I looked at the puncture and it was really deep. And the nail was a bit rusty, so I, I got, a, got a tetanus shot and I didn't get tetanus. And in my adult life, when I was about 37, my, my mother still, still concerned about my health. And if you're a mother, you're always concerned about your, your children's health. Even though once your child becomes an adult, you can no longer be the parent, you have to be the ex-parent with a relationship with an adult. And the reason why is because nobody can parent an adult. We have to have a different kind of caring relationship with the, with the adult. 
So you can't parent your child when your child gets to be in their 30s or even even really 18. After the child is 18, you likely want to avoid parenting because the child is, albeit a new adult, still nonetheless an adult. So when I was in my 30s, my mother suggested that I go out and find a, a regular doctor, find a doctor that, that I could keep, a family practice doctor. So I did indeed find that doctor and my first family practice doctor was Bruce Kelly, Dr. Bruce Kelly. Some of you may know him. He was a, a physician in Nashville, still is actually, still practicing, I think. And I've seen him around town a bit. We were friends. So when he moved on from the practice, uh, Dr. Elizabeth Twarden took over. And I think Dr. Twarden came on the scene in my life 25, maybe longer years ago. And, and she's still to this day, uh, my family practice doctor. I turned to her for the expertise. And I would go to her once a year and she would give me my physical and she would say, you need to do this or do that. And so in that relationship with Dr. Torden, I was always able to hear her advice and I did heed it. Now, maybe that's because my mother said, you got to listen to your doctor. I'm fully aware, my friends, those of you out there in the, the deep holistic community that the thing one must listen to the most, one must listen to one's body. So the body heals itself and the body does give lots and lots of information and the, and the doctor is not necessarily the final word. Here's the bicycle. I have to, hi, how are you? Good, thanks. I thought I knew that bicyclist. Maybe I do, I don't know, but I didn't recognize the bicyclist except she just zipped past and had to say hi back to the doctor. The doctor's not the final word. You are the final word. You know what's best for your body. You are the full author of your existence, the authority of your body, the authority of your creativity, the authority of your decisions. Even so, I do respect Dr. Twarden, and she always made sure I, I got my vaccinations. And so I am one of those who gets a flu shot every year. And now you know why, because I've been, been getting good results from it, which is to say, I don't ever get the flu. Although some of my friends will tell me, I've never gotten a flu shot and I've never gotten the flu, which tells me that we are not talking about scientific research between friends. All we're talking about are stories that we tell about our experiences in, in the world. And in this case, our experiences with vaccinations. So again, perhaps, you're one of those totally opposed to it, and you have a million reasons why you are. Well, good on you. I, on the other hand, I enjoy the idea of my sense of safety. I use the word sense because it may not be actual safety, although I think it is. So now we come to COVID-19, and we come to now, today, in the midst of the pandemic. Vaccinations are around here in the states we can get as get our vaccinations if we want them or we can reject them if we please now here's why i got my covid 19 vaccination i got the moderna vaccination and it was done on the first of march and then i returned in on the first of april and got my second vaccination i was scared simple as that i was terrified of getting COVID-19, having it crawl into my system, and having it take over. 
I was terrified of being on a respirator. I was afraid of the long-term impact of it. The perhaps loss of memory. I love to memorize poetry. Oh, when I was young and easy under the apple boughs, about the lilting house and happy as the grass was green. I was terrified of forgetting those beautiful poems that I know. I was just scared. And I thought, oh, if I could just have something that would keep this at bay, I'll be the first in line. And sure enough, I was not actually the first in line, but I didn't hesitate to get in line and I was happy to do it. And that was on March 1st and then again on April 3rd. So I, I followed the procedure, got my little vaccination card. But I was terrified. And so I was operating out of fear. I was operating out of fear. Now, I have no high blood pressure. I have slightly elevated cholesterol, but not so bad. I'm keeping that under control with great ease. I eat mostly vegetables, occasionally fish, steam my vegetables, olive oil, occasional egg or two. I drink a lot of water. I even put turmeric in my water because I, I like a bitter taste of turmeric. And I have a large bottle of water that I drink from and I often will consume three of those bottles a day. So all in all, I'm fairly healthy. Take a few vitamins. Now I don't have the regime some of my friends have. I know some friends of mine and they have their bottles of remedies lined up across the counter. And they take a pill for this and a pill for that. Now it's all natural stuff. And I'm not putting any shade on the natural world or the natural, natural food or the natural vitamins that you can get at your local health food store or your grocery or wherever you go that has natural vitamins. I'm not putting a shade on it. But I'm saying that these friends take all the remedies and they, they read deeply and they tell me that they've researched tremendously uh, information that's not available to the average public. But because of their research, they've gone deep into it and they know. Now, maybe they do. I will tell you this, I'm just a little bit too lazy to do that much daily deep research into this phenomenon of counter information that runs against, say, somebody like Dr. Fauci. I like Dr. Fauci. I like Dr. Fauci because he worked on with Larry Kramer in the AIDS epidemic many years ago, and he was friends with Larry Kramer. For those of you who don't know who Larry Kramer was, he was a very strong, very active, very vocal, serious, one of maybe the first gay activist in San Francisco. And Dr. Fauci and Larry Kramer became close friends. And when Kramer died, and Fauci said this on an interview, he said, I, I grieved that man's loss. He was a powerhouse. Coming back to the vitamins on the shelf, a lot of people have been doing deep, deep research. Maybe they are completely, utterly right. Maybe you're one of them. Maybe you've done deep, deep research and you're completely convinced that, that you are totally, totally right. Ah, well, I'm glad. And maybe you are. And I'm not here to preach about how right or wrong I am. I'm just here to tell you my story about my fears and about why I got the vaccination. So when 2019 came around, 2020, now 2021, 
I really wanted to get the vaccination, mostly because I wanted to, I wanted to walk. I wanted to stay alive. I wanted to be able to do this radio show. And so I went for it. I got it. I had no ill effects. I was rather surprised, actually, at how unremarkable it was. Small shot in the arm, tiny needle, little squirt, who knows how much, not much. There it was. My arm was sore. I felt a little droopy the next day. And then that was that. It was all over. And I went back a month later and basically had the same experience. Now, some people will say, oh, well, I don't know what the long-term effects will be. And they're right. You, I really don't know. I, I'm a willing guinea pig. I was happy to stand in front of the line. And when it comes to the conversations I've had with my friends, people who say I will not under any circumstances take, take this vaccination. It's dangerous. It's a conspiracy. The government is coming after me. I am terrified of what they, quote unquote, are going to do with me. A uh, good boy just went by on a motorcycle and waved at me. There's a little puppy standing in the road. I don't think he'll bark. He does not look like the kind of puppy that would bite. So my friends who will tell me, uh-oh, the puppy's standing in the road and there's a car. Oh, he didn't see the car, but the car didn't hit it. Car slowed down. Subaru, Outback slowed down. And the woman is looking at me like that's my puppy and I should leash the puppy. I've never seen the puppy in my life. In fact, now the puppy's running up the road. And the woman gave me the, she gave me the eye. What are you doing with your dog off the leash? And I'm going, that dog just appeared in the road. I have no idea where it came from and really no idea where it's going. But my friends, going in the direction of the vaccine or the non-vaccine, what I say to them is I tell them a shorter version of the story that I've told you right now. And I, I say to them, I, I, I'm very curious about the choices you've made and I admire you. And this is not some BS as a troll to pull them into some argument. I actually do admire them. I would never risk floating around this infected world without the vaccine. And yet for them, they are almost casual about the risk. And their argument is, I pay very close attention to my immune system, and I trust that if I get COVID-19, my immune system will, will repel it. My immune system is very healthy. I take all, the, all of these alternative drugs. Now, again, no shade on alternative drugs. I take a lot of, a lot of things myself. I like the idea of the alternative, the different route. Two roads diverged to the yellow wood, and I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. And yet, whatever route you take, you'll never come back, so the other one is rather irrelevant. So my friends will tell me they feel safe. And in fact, I have to say, I admire their, their sense of safety because they feel a lot more safe than, than I do. I didn't, I've never felt safe at all. And even though I have been somewhat rigorous, I walk every day for two miles or three, and sometimes it takes an hour. Anyway, I'm on that walk right now with you. Uh, the sun's a little lower in the western sky and got some shade from the trees that now have leaves. Suddenly the trees just sprout and there they have leaves. And before, recently, they were bare. 
And that's the surprising aspect of nature. It changes every, every moment. So I do applaud you if you haven't gotten your vaccination and you are, are willing to trust your own body, willing to trust the research you've done, willing to trust the, um, the, the, the health you have, and maybe even willing to discount the, the virus. Perhaps COVID-19 isn't as dangerous as I think it is. It isn't as dangerous as millions of people have experienced. I'm being a little ironic here. I actually think it is really dangerous. And I, I have no idea why somebody would take the risk like that. I guess I've always thought I was a risk taker. And in, at parties and places amongst my friends, people maybe even have said to me, oh, Nave, you're a risk taker. You take a lot of risk. I admire that. And I've always puffed up a bit like the, like the pigeon and said, yo, well, thank you. I'm so glad you noticed that I take a lot of risk. And of course, that's really important because most people, most people don't take all that many risks. Oh, look at me, such a big risk taker. And now, my friends, I find out I'm not that much of a risk taker. Oh, I'll throw a few cards across the table and sure, I'll take a bit of risk here and there. And, and we all do, and since, in a sense, life is risk. How could it not be risk? We risk our lives every day. And one day, we'll come up short. So hopefully that's not today for me, at least with COVID-19, and I hope for you, wherever you are, that it's not your day either. I hope that you keep, keep all those problems at bay. I hope that you live a healthy, wonderful, incredible life, and maybe you will. And I would love to hear your, your story, the way you view this. You can email me through my website, jamesnave.com, and you can tell me that story if you like. And so that, my friends, is my story, my, my musing, or musings on, on why I have two vaccinations and why I advocate for vaccinations and why I think it's a very, very good thing for people to do. And now we enter the summer months, enter the warmer time, when the wind picks up and slows down and, and we keep moving on. So what in the world can I say to you after such a long, you might even say diatribe around vaccinations? Well, I can say that it's a real pleasure to be able to walk down this road and think about talking to you. Like I said earlier in the conversation with you, I don't do this all that much. I mostly interview people. And yet sometimes it's just nice to walk along and look at what's going on. So out here on the rim road this afternoon, two o'clock, warmish, somebody has put a, a rooster on a post and the driveway number is 70A and the rooster's there. Looks like one of those bantam roosters. And then there's a fellow who lives in this fairly large plot of land with a number of structures on the land and some of the structures are rental and then there's the house that he lives in. Oh, his dogs are barking at me, a little boxer and a couple of others, three old dogs in the fence. And he has an American flag in the front yard. 
Well, it's interesting for me, the American flag. And I walked past this house all winter and he had a, an older flag up and it was really tattered and the flag was worn out. And I thought, when's the guy gonna ever change his flag? And so lo and behold, he did change the flag and now he has a new flag. I think he lets it fly all the time. I think he lets it fly at night. Now I have never been a huge displayer of the American flag. No shade on the flag. I, I like the idea of the, of the American flag. I love the idea of what we can do in this country as a people. And I was having a conversation with a, an insurance agent who named his insurance company Patriot Insurance Company. And I said to him, I said, well, why, why, why Rob, did you name your company Patriot Insurance Company? And he says, well, I, I work out in New York. I'm up, up, up above the city in Westchester County. And I, I service all the people in, in the New York area with insurance. And I, I named my company Patriot Insurance because I love the American flag. And indeed, he did because he had a couple of American flags behind him in the Zoom call. And his, his branding is all about the American flag. So he told me that he had been in the military and the Navy and he loved democracy and he, he loved the Constitution and he, he loved America and he felt like it was an important thing to have the American flag as a prominent proposition. And so we got into what does patriotism mean and we, we got a little bit into what is democracy and we talked about the, the big ideals of America being a melting pot, America being a place where people can come and have come and, and they do all kinds of amazing things. Now some come and the amazing things don't happen so much for them, but a lot on the other hand do. And you can find those amazing stories almost anywhere you go in America. So he and I got started talking about the protocol for the American flag. And in the conversation, I started to talk about how one displays the flag. And he was telling me in the military, they have lots of protocol for the flag. You raise it in the morning and you lower it in the evening and the honor guard folds it for the night. and. You can only leave the flag up if you put lights on it. And if you don't have lights on it, you have to take it down and all kinds of protocol for the flag. And then I, I started thinking about, and I know you listening out there may have driven by a car dealership or some other business. And the business has this huge monstrous flag hanging on a, a monstrosity flagpole that's sometimes three, four, five stories high. It's just blowing in the wind. Who knows how big it is? I want to say it's as big as a football field. I doubt that. But by golly, it's, it's bigger than a tennis court. And, and you see these flags flying. And I imagine they put lights on the flags over the car dealerships at night. But I told this fellow, I said, I think it's really odd these car dealerships put such huge flags in front of their dealerships. I said to him, I think it's, it's almost, almost unpatriotic. It's a little bit overstating. It's almost like saying, look how patriotic I am. Look how much of an American I am. I'm flying this huge flag. And it's a bit like wearing something 
too heavy on the sleeve. And I said, I find it to be vulgar and offensive. And I went on to say that if I owned a car dealership, what I would do, I would have an American flag and I would put it out front and I would have it the same size as the military American flag. And I would have a, a ceremony to raise the flag in the morning and then to lower the flag when the sun went down. And I would make a big fuss all over town about this ceremony. And I would invite anybody who wanted to come and participate in this ceremony to stop by any time, rain or shine, seven days a week, dawn to dusk. And he stopped for a moment and thought, you know, I love that idea. And I wasn't thinking about any sort of commercial strategy with the flag going up and going down. I was just more thinking how respectful that would be. Now, I understand that we each have our own relationship with the American flag. Some of you out there would, you know, frame it and put it above your, your desk. Some of you would stomp on it. Some of you would burn it. Some of you would fly it above your house. Whatever you do with it, you have a relationship with it. But I thought that would be a really interesting way of offering up the questions of what America means to a community somewhere in a town where this car dealership serviced the town. And the fellow really liked the idea. Rob, is it, well, I believe was his name. He liked the idea a lot. And he said, you know, I'd do that if I had a car dealership. And I said, yeah, Rob, well, all we have to do is get a car dealership and we will be in business. So I can tie the, the idea of America, the idea of vaccinations, the idea of community all together. And of course, I will say quickly that COVID-19 is a global pandemic. It's everywhere. In a um, very sad sense, no matter what flag your country flies, you still have the virus to contend with, which brings me around to the earth, brings me around to standing on the earth, our place on the earth. And we are, we are creatures of the earth. I was having a conversation with another friend yesterday, I think, and he was talking about the idea of, of what our responsibility as human beings might be. He was talking about how do I separate myself from the savage animals, he said, or the primitive animals, or the, 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 the animals that don't have the rational mind. Human beings have the rational mind, and the animals, well, they're, they don't think, they just do, and they're not really empathetic, and the animals don't have a sense of morals, they just operate on instinct. And I had to put into the conversation my view of that. And I said, well, I've revised my thinking a little bit. When we talk about human beings, I think we would be well served to talk about human beings within the context of human beings as animals. Now, again, some of you out there might go, oh my God, I'm not an animal, I'm a human being. Well, look around. We are a species. We do walk on this earth. We do inhabit the natural world with all of the other species. The natural world is everywhere, even going down Broadway, crossing Union Square and headed south past the Strand Bookstore, going down to Soho. That's the natural world. We've built something in the natural world and exist within the big city. So I told my friend, I 
thought it might be smart to consider that we were animals as well. And I, I went on to say that we may not be as advanced as we think we are. Now, admittedly, we can fly to space. We can talk across air. We can emanate our, our images on screens. We can create vaccinations that stop the oncoming pandemic, COVID-19. We can make things, create things, construct things in the world, like the entire city of New York, or Chicago, or Paris, or Tokyo, or Manila, or Singapore, or Mumbai, or you name it, whatever big city, Jakarta. We can do all of that. But I said to my friend, you know, we're all so savage beasts. We tend to, in a sense, chew our own legs up, we tend to bite each other. We tend to so often work counter to our well-being. We, we lose ourselves. I don't know if you call it ego, perhaps you would call it ego, but we do lose ourselves. We lose ourselves in our own odd kind of savagery. We eat the world in a way, metaphorically. Plus, of course, we consume a tremendous amount of food as well. We eat a lot. And eating all this food we take from the environment and we don't give that much back within the context of the balance that say the, the magpies here in Taos would, would have or the coyotes or the, the other animals that, that are around. Even the dogs, like this little dog barking at me as I now return on my walk down the dirt road from the house where I started almost an hour ago. But the little dog is barking. Eh, he doesn't seem so savage or primitive. Of course, now he's going to bite my ankle as I walk past. Don't think so, though. He's just a friendly little dog. So I said to my friend, we would be well served to think of ourselves as, as animals. How do we fit into the animal world? Not how do the animals fit into our world? And we would be, be well served to remember that the scientists have discovered that trees can communicate with each other. Trees, can you imagine that? We thought it was funny when the flower children of yesteryear said, I'm going to hug a tree. And a lot of people ridicule those people. They say, oh, they're just tree huggers, idiot tree huggers. Think they can talk to trees. Well, as it turns out, the trees actually can communicate with each other. And I heard a nice podcast on NPR recently. Yeah, I do like NPR. But I was listening to this podcast and a scientist was talking at great length with great joy about how much she appreciated and was dazzled by the fact that she had now discovered that trees discuss amongst themselves within the root systems where they live. And I was just absolutely thrilled by that notion. And I think it does fit into the intuition I had around the vaccination. I'm not operating with some great intellectual prowess. I'm just thinking I need to get that vaccination so I can be protected. So I won't end up on a ventilator. And I'm also thinking fondly of my mother who has passed on, 93 years old, a few years ago now. And I was thinking of fondly about our own American tradition and how do we all fit into Americana? Who are we as a people? Who are you in this context? Are you willing to 
look to the neighbor next door or to the people down the street or to the folks on the other side of town and see them with a fond eye rather than an antagonistic eye. I was afraid of the vaccine. Actually, I shouldn't say afraid of the vaccine, maybe a little afraid of the vaccine. I was definitely afraid of COVID-19, but I've never been afraid of people. I've always had a deep abiding sense of faith in humanity, in the way we operate, our sense of place in the world, our potential, what we can do, how we can be, how we can interact with each other, how we can celebrate, lift up, appreciate, sing, even off key, smile. I've always loved all that. I know sometimes the world can be bloody antagonistic. That's true. But it can also be delightful and it can be beautiful. And that's exactly the experience that I've had on this walk that I've taken with you down the rim road on a warm May afternoon. And I want to thank you for listening. I'm now coming upon my small little house where I live, my art studio. And I hope you're happy wherever you are. Have a little shelter over your head. Maybe you have some birds in the background and maybe a loved one nearby. I hope so. And on that note, I would like to say thank you ever so much for listening to Nave on the Rim Road, which I am airing on twice five miles radio, fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I am the host, James Nave, and we're always broadcasting first on WPVMLP, Asheville 103.7, streaming online, WPVMFM.org, the voice of Asheville, heard all over the world and on other community radio stations like KCEI coming out of Taos, New Mexico, Cultural Energy Radio. Thank you, Walter Parks, for our theme song. Love your music, Walt. Glad you're in the world. Glad you're playing, man. WalterParks.com for those of you who would like to listen to Walter's music. If you'd like to connect with me, JamesNave.com. Nave is spelled N-A-B-E. You can connect with me by way of that website. And I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And I appreciate it so much, taking this walk with me. I would love to hear from you if you are so moved. And I, again, like I say, I appreciate it. I have arrived at the little green door I left from about an hour ago. So once again, thanks so much for listening. You please do tune in again next time if you have, if you have the mood and you have the space. And until then, I'll catch you on the turnaround somewhere down that line.